Well, my theory is it's always best to be prepared ahead of time. You know, my mother used to have a saying, uh, prepare for the worst and hope for the best. <laughs> and uh, so I, I, I try to do that. <laughs> but given that we are today uh studying Romans chapter 13, the first part of Romans 13, which deals with the subject of the believer's relationship to civil authorities, I acknowledge the fact that this is going to be a slow slug given the audience that I have. (laughs) Uh, So... uh, so I'm not going to try to do too much uh, because I know you all have thoughts and you'll want to uh, interact as we go along. So. What he really means is he doesn't think we're all that bright. Yeah. <laughs> I got to browbeat you guys into submission here. So. Uh, no, I was not. I was not. <laughs> But it did take us four weeks. It did take us four weeks, including a snow week, to get through the last six or seven verses of chapter 12, uh, which was also all your fault. So. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, actually, this is all providential that I'm teaching Romans 13 before our conference tonight on Romans 13. So, uh, so anyway, and that may very well be the case. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but uh, so we are in chapter 13, but let's go back for a few minutes and just kind of review some of the things that we talked about last week. Actually, we were just uh, the last couple, like I said, last three lessons or so we were going through verses 14 through 21. And last week we were looking at verses 19 through 21. And uh, so what are some of the things that you recall that we were discussing last week? Okay. What would be some of those? Well, you can change the course of things. And then the thing you mentioned was that, that you take God's opportunity to work things out the way you want them to work out. Yeah. Kind of take things in our own hand and, and uh, I don't know if we can talk in these terms, but we kind of mess things up for God. <laughs> and so then He has to clean up our mess as well as the other person's mess as well. Okay. What else? Sometimes we want to voice our opinion on something when we don't know the, the background of where they're coming from. Yeah, yeah. When we take our own revenge, sometimes, uh, usually, actually, probably usually, we, we really don't understand the whole story. We don't have the whole picture. Thankfully, God is omniscient. He does know everything, and so He does know the whole story. But when we take revenge into our own hands, we're doing so... Uh, with a degree of blindness and unawareness of of other issues and other circumstances and other people that are involved. What else? Overcome uh, evil with good, and we can do that because we are God's beloved, and He is going to work for our good. So we don't have to take our yeah. because we are God's beloved. Yeah. He is going to work. Yeah. That really is important to remember I, when I'm. 
when I'm waiting on when I'm waiting for God to work out an issue, when I'm waiting for justice or vindication or whatever, I can get very impatient and God can take a and what seems to me like his own sweet time getting around to it. And uh, I, it helps to remember at that time that he does love me. And uh, so the reason for what appears to me to be a delay is not because God is indifferent to my situation, indifferent to my plight. It's not because God doesn't love me, but it's because he does understand all these other issues and he has other things that he's doing along with, uh, with what he's trying to do in my particular situation. So those are some of the reasons why we are enjoined to wait on God in this matter. What else? Yeah, yeah. The when he says when he says uh, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he's thirsty, give him a drink. There's there's sometimes we can do things, and we ought to. Uh, you know, it's the principle of of going into your closet to pray. Sometimes there are ways that we can minister to people and do things for people when they're not aware of it. Okay, and that's good, and I think that's uh, admirable. But in this particular case, he's actually encouraging us to love our enemies in ways that they are aware of. If they are hungry, you feed them. If they're thirsty, you give them a drink. And, and the advantage of that, of course, is that it communicates to them that although they've been hateful towards you, you are not reciprocating. Uh, you are not bitter or hateful towards them, but you actually love them. And it communicates, of course, to them in the circumstances of their own sin and rebellion, it communicates to them the love of God. And, of course, we know it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. What else? It's a whole lot easier to talk about this than it is to do it. Well, one of the things we kept kind of running up against as we were looking at these last six or seven verses in Romans chapter 12, one of the things we kept running up against is kind of the what-ifs and that sort of thing. Uh, because Paul is dealing specifically with the issue of when we are personally wronged, when someone wrongs us on a personal level, okay? And we kept confronting the issue about, about wrongs within society. And I kept putting you off and saying, that's the next chapter. That's chapter 13, okay? So we are finally there. We are in chapter 13. So let's read the first seven verses and then we'll see how much progress we can make in that today. He says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And those who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. 
Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due to them. Tax to whom taxes do, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Okay, well, as there's just a number of kind of preliminary things I want us to think about as we approach these verses. Uh, and one of them is um, Paul's, Paul's discussion here is uh, in these verses is almost exclusively, in fact, it is exclusively positive in, in the view he communicates about government. Okay? That's not a view most of us share, right? <laughs> most of us don't have an exclusively positive view of government. And I would suggest that Paul doesn't either. But, but what we're dealing here is what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 13, 1 through 7. So, what happens oftentimes when, when people talk about these verses in Romans 13 is that we end up spending a lot of time talking about things these verses don't say. And we don't often spend much time talking about what they do say. Okay? Now, even when you read the commentaries, and every commentary I read spent a good deal of time in the commentary talking about some of the things that Paul does not say here, okay? And, and we need to do that because obviously there are a lot of what-ifs as we approach this passage. There are just a whole lot of what-ifs. And, uh, and so we'll have to take some time and we'll have to deal with those things as we look at this passage. But it is striking to me that as Paul presents his biblical view, if you will, of government, his understanding of government. Of course, he's speaking, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here. So this is God's view of government. That as he, he does this, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't tackle the caveats. He doesn't tackle the what-ifs. He doesn't talk about situations of, of abusive authority and things. He doesn't talk about any of that. That's not because Paul doesn't recognize that those situations exist. But for some reason, the Holy Spirit, in inspiring these verses, saw fit not to address those issues. And so I asked myself, why is that? And I think, the, I think perhaps one of the reasons is always dangerous when you make arguments on the basis of silence when you're studying Scripture. But I think that, I think that one of the reasons is because we are so disinclined by nature to submit to any authority. It just goes against our grain to submit to authority. It's so contrary to our nature that I think that what the Holy Spirit has done here is He's just put it out here and He hasn't given us any exceptions. He hasn't given us... He doesn't mention any exceptions. He doesn't mention any caveats. He doesn't mention any what is. He just lays it out. And so I think it would behoove us as we look at the passage 
to really let the full force of this idea of submission to civil authority really sink in. And what we want to do is we want to kind of run real quick and say, well, do I have to in this situation? Or what about that? And we want to run to the exceptions and we'll talk about the exceptions. But let's let's let this passage really speak to us in the full force of what God thinks about this whole issue of civil authority. Okay. Uh, so, I just want to mention that up front because oftentimes we spend so much time talking about what the passage doesn't say, we don't, ever, we don't get around to talk about what it actually is saying. So, I, wanted, I want us to really think about, about that. Having said that, let's stop and think a little bit about the caveats, okay? We'll just get it up front so you'll know I'm not ignoring those things, alright? Okay? We all know, we all know that there are abuses of authority. And the reason that's true is because every authority, and he's going to say here, he's going to tell us that every authority is established by God, and we, so we'll have to deal with that. But we know that every person who's in authority, whether it's a school teacher, or a parent, or a policeman, or a president, or a king, or a governor, or uh, a judge, we know that every person who's in authority is a sinner, right? So they're going to sin. Okay, and and we all sin in every aspect of our lives. We sin on the job. We sin in the home. We sin in our relationships in the civil community. Uh, we all sin, and so we know that authorities sin, and so we can expect that authorities, even the best authorities, when they are operating within the realm of their authority, are going to sin. Okay, some more so than others, but they all do it. So we know that. And it would be foolish for us to assume that Paul didn't know that when he wrote Romans chapter 13. He knows that. He doesn't deal with that in this passage, but that doesn't mean he doesn't know that. Okay. So, as we study Romans 13, we have to recognize that Scripture is the best commentary on itself. And what we mean by that is we have to take Scripture in the context of all of Scripture. Okay. So, there are other passages that relate to this subject of civil authority and government, but we're not studying all those other passages. We're just studying Romans 13, okay? Uh, So we will think about some of those. Certainly Paul, in his mind as he was writing this, was very familiar with some of the important exceptions in redemptive history. You know, clearly Paul knew the story of the Israeli midwives in Egypt. Paul uh, Paul certainly knows the story, knew the story of the three Hebrew men in the fiery furnace. He knew the story of Daniel being prohibited from prayer and how he, in spite of the governing authorities dictates, went out and prayed to Yahweh very publicly, very openly so that others would see it. Uh, he knew firsthand men who had stood before authorities in Acts and said, who are we to obey, God or man? Okay, So these are things that, that it would be foolish for us to think Paul was not aware of when he wrote Romans 13. So I, I think he, he was aware of them. And, and of course now we have, in addition to the things that Paul was aware of, we have 2,000 more years of history. And we are aware of many situations throughout history that seem to present some kind of qualification or exception to this 
principle that Paul's setting forth here in Romans 13. So, and and in a in a relatively recent sense, we have uh, recent uh, terms. We have the tremendous example of a man like Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Germany, uh, leading up to uh, World War II and during the time of the Holocaust, and how uh, this man in in devotion to God and faithfulness to God stood against the German authorities. And, uh, and uh, in fact, he had an opportunity to come to the States and he came to the States uh, and he could have stayed here uh, in the United States until the crisis passed. Uh, but of course, he wasn't aware how long that would be. It could be decades or whatever. He had no awareness. And he felt a need, a devotion to go back to Germany and to identify with the believers in Germany who were standing against the oppressive authority. And, and he did so. And of course, ultimately, uh, because of his actions, contrary to the government, uh, ended up forfeiting his life uh, shortly before the close, of the close of World War II. I personally have questions about some of the things that Bonhoeffer did and whether they were right or not, but I still admire the man and I admire his stand. Uh, so we have uh, his example, even if obviously contemporarily, we have the example of the Hobby Lobby case. Uh, and the stand that that uh, organization and others in association with them are having to take against government. Of course, they've not done anything illegal. They've not had to break the law so far. It's all still in the courts, but the question remains, how is that all going to work out? We see the need for men and women of faith to take a stand in situations where government is, uh, is, is abusive or is exceeding its rights. I myself, and that's not to boast or anything, but I myself have had the opportunity to spend a little time in jail because I was preaching the gospel. Okay? And so, so we recognize these things happen. We recognize the possibility of these things. And we will keep that in the back of our mind as we go forward. And doubtless, you all want to discuss those things some. Uh, but what I want to do is I, want, I, I, I do want the passage just to speak to us in its full force. So I don't want to use the exceptions. I don't want to use the caveats, if we could say, call them that. I don't want to use those as some kind of a shield to protect us from what God is saying about our obligation and our responsibility to have a thoroughgoing disposition of submission to authority, which I think is what Paul is addressing here. Okay. Now, uh, one of the problems that we run into as we're studying through Romans and we come to this passage in Romans 13 is... Uh, is it's just like a seems like this kind of sudden break in Paul's subject matter. He's he's talking about not taking your own revenge, and he's talking about uh, doing no evil and, and not being overcome by evil. And then when we get down to verse eight, he's going to start talking about love and what love requires. And right in the middle of it, just kind of comes this kind of it seems like kind of this totally different subject. The the question of civil government and our relationship to civil government. And the, the change is so abrupt and it stands out in some ways in such contrast to kind of the general subject matter that he's dealing with both before and after the passage that, that many scholars and commentators really struggle with. Why is this passage even here in this particular place? And in fact, some of them struggle with it so much they suggest 
that the passage is what we call an interpolation. An interpolation is, uh, is something that is added to a text after the fact. So some people suggest that somebody somewhere down the road a century or two after Paul wrote the book of Romans uh, was struggling with issues of, of government and our relationship to civil government. And so they, were tr- they wanted to communicate how the church should respond in those situations. So they just kind of added this text into the passage and they just kind of stuck it in here. Okay. Uh, and, and there are actually a number of commentators who, who do that. But, but I don't think that's necessary at all. I think if we look at the passage, even though it really is in some sense a, a, a little bit of a jarring shift in Paul's focus temporarily in the context of the whole passage, if we think about it, the things he's talking about really relate to things he's already said. So he's talking about our relationships to civil authority and he's talking about our, uh, our relationship to government and government's relationship to us and that sort of thing. But, but when we think about the things that he just said in the verses just prior to that, he, he, talked about, uh, he, he talked about us being able to discern what is God's good will. Remember, he talked about having a renewed mind so that we can discern what the will of God is, that which is good and and perfect and acceptable, etc. Okay, so so he's talking about trying to figure out what is the will of God and how we do that in Romans chapter 12. And one of the things we know is that one of one of the things that is God's perfect will is a stable, ordered society. So that, for example, in Timothy, Paul injunctions enjoins Timothy, and he tells him. It says, you pray for those in authority so that we can lead a tranquil and quiet life. And the idea is that if we have a tranquil and quiet society, that creates an environment in which the gospel is free to be preached. Okay. So God has a great deal of interest in the idea of a stable society, a stable community in which his people, his creation, those made in his image can can live freely, can live peaceably, uh, can go about the things that God has given them to do in their lives without undue distractions and undue disruptions. So God has a very vested interest in the idea of a stable and ordered society. And one of the ways that he has accomplished that, as we'll see, is by the establishment of authority or government within that culture. So, so this all does have to do with the idea of God's goodwill. He talks uh, in verse 18 of chapter 12, he talks about us living at peace as much as is possible with all men. This has profound uh, significant uh, connections with the idea of civil government uh, and, and our relationship to civil government. If we're going to live at peace with all men. What is, where does our relationship with civil government fit into that question of living at peace with all men? He talks about overcoming evil with good. Here again, uh, the issue of our relationship to government has bearing on that subject. Uh, he talks about uh, in verse 17 of chapter 12, he talks about uh, respecting that which is right in the sight of all men. Uh, again, this is an area you know, we are our, our, uh, people in general have uh, certain perceptions about what our responsibility is to government and government's responsibility to us. And if we are going to respect what is right in the sight of all men, we have to figure this whole thing out 
about civil government and how we relate to civil government in the view and in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of, of other men and women. Uh, and then, of course, one of the things we really struggled with in those last verses of chapter 12 is the question of, of uh, the prohibition against personal retribution. And it's very clear. It's always prohibited. We're never allowed to take our own revenge. And so then that brought up the question of justice. Where does justice get carried out? Well, clearly, this is where we move into the subject of the, of the authorities, of those who have authority over the over the uh, civil realm, over society. And, and we discover that, they're really, that even though we cannot take our own revenge, there is an institution that God has established for the purposes of, of carrying out justice and administering justice so we don't have to do it ourselves. It's, it is committed uh, to the responsibility of the civil authorities. So, my, my point is simply that while in some senses this seems like a little bit of a jarring shift where we shift from what we're talking about to the idea of civil authority and our relationship to it and our submission to it, it really does relate to a number of the things that Paul's already been talking about in chapter 12. I have no difficulty at all understanding and believing that Paul wrote these things because he knew that the people to whom he was writing needed to hear those things. Which brings up another point, and that is... We have to remember the context, the historical context in which this is written. Because if there was ever a historical context, if there was ever a context in which there were all kinds of caveats and what ifs, the condition of the church in the first century under the Roman emperor was one of them. Now, it just so happens that, that Paul wrote these things about ten years before the outbreak of what we call the Neronian persecutions, the persecutions uh, 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 instituted by uh, the Emperor Nero against the Christians. And that occurs about ten years after this. So the church in Rome is not yet facing what they are going to face. And it is interesting to me that the Holy Spirit knew all that. And so he gave to the Roman church these words to arm them and equip them so that when this vigorous, brutal persecution began within the next decade, they would be equipped with God's understanding of authority. Okay? Because when you face the kind of things that the church faced, the opposition the church faced in the first century, beginning in the, in the uh, 60, late mid-60s or whatever A.D., when you begin to counter those things, if you haven't gotten a foundation in God's view of authority, your view of authority can get pretty skewed, right? Because we see it today, don't we? When government doesn't do the kind of things we think it ought to do, whether it's in just practical everyday matters or if it isn't the issues that are really clearly to us very moral, when government acts in ways that we don't like or we don't think, it gets very difficult to think biblically. So this is kind of this kind of goes along the lines of some of the things Ronnie's been talking about in Ephesians chapter two about being equipped for warfare. Okay, and one of the ways we need to be equipped for warfare is as we face the issues that we face with government, whatever those issues are. We need to have 
the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And we need to be, we need to have the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. We need those things, okay? If we are going to walk through life and walk through the experience of relating to civil authorities, which everybody has to do, if we're going to walk through it and come through it on the other side as faithful to God and faithful to His Word. Okay? So, so Paul equips the Romans with this. In, and certainly he didn't know what was going to happen, but the Holy Spirit did in view of the things they were going to face ahead. Okay. So, so let's just keep that context in mind. Okay. Now, one of the questions that comes up almost right away as you begin to look at the passage, he says in verse one, he says, every person is to be in subject, is to be subject to the governing authorities. Now, uh, the New American refers to it there as the governing authorities. Does anybody have any other translations besides New American? What does it say there? What does it call them? Pardon? Higher powers. Higher powers. Okay, what translation is that? She doesn't know what translation she carries. <laughs> the real one. <laughs> the King James Version. Okay. <laughs> the real one. <laughs> Thank you, Ginger. I appreciate that. Anybody else have anything else? The whole name also refers to governing authorities. Okay. Yes. Civil authorities, okay? Now, the word civil or govern is kind of added there by the translators for our clarification, okay? The word there in the Greek is simply the word authorities, okay? And, and so, the question comes up, uh, for those who take the time to really think through some of these things, the question comes up, what authorities are they talking about? And obviously, some of our translators have concluded, and I think justifiably so, that he is talking about civil or governing authorities, okay? But, but the argument is made by some, and this goes back to this whole question of why is this whole subject just kind of dropped here in the middle of this other discussion that Paul is having. <clears throat> the argument is made by some that this word here, authorities, that he uses here, is used in other places. Paul himself uses it in other places to refer not to humans, but to spiritual forces, okay? So the passage that Ronnie's teaching out of right now, out of Ephesians chapter 6, uses the word, both the word rulers and the word uh, authorities, which are both used here in this passage, are used not in reference to humans, but as in reference to the demonic powers that are at work around us, the spiritual forces that are at work around us. And, and so some people argue that he's really not talking here about civil authorities or governing authorities. He's really talking about spiritual forces. Okay. But, uh, but I think our, the translators of the New American are right in seeing here that he's talking about civil authorities. I think that becomes pretty clear as you go down through the context. And very clearly, he's talking here in the context about people who have a sword, people to whom we pay taxes, etc., etc., etc. So, I think it's pretty clear that when he's talking about authorities here, he's talking about the civil authorities. That's, that's the specific subject that he's dealing with. However, that being said, Paul is arguing, making his argument about civil authorities based on a principle about God and all authority. So, 
So the argument can be made, and I, and I would make this argument, that while the passage is dealing specifically with the subject of civil authority, that the principles that are set forth in this passage also apply to other kinds of human authority. Authority in the home, authority in the workplace, authority in the church, etc., etc., etc. Okay? And, and, and I would argue that because, one, as I said, the principle that underlies his argument about civil authority uh, applies in these other situations. Plus, we have passages in Scripture in which he communicates essentially the same idea about uh, these other authorities. So there are passages that teach us about authority in the family and there are passages that teach us about authority in the workplace and there are passages that teach us about authority in the church. So, so while specifically he's dealing here with the question of civil authority and governor authority and the society in general, I think we can extrapolate out from these, make application in other areas as well. Okay? So, so as I teach the passage, I am teaching the passage as referring primarily and chiefly to this idea of civil authorities. Now, he begins very bluntly in verse 1, and he says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. And when he says every person, I think Paul certainly means or certainly has in his thought that this instruction about every person relates to all people generally. Okay, everybody is responsible to be is a obligated to be in submission to the governing authorities. But he's writing to the believers in Rome. And so, while it is true that the principle applies to all people, not just to Christians, Paul is writing to Christians. So, particularly, it applies to us as believers. Now, what's important about that is that Sometimes we can kind of flip that around and we can kind of think, well, we're Christians and we're in another kingdom. We function within the kingdom of God. OK, and we are looking for a heavenly kingdom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so we really don't have any obligation or responsibility to the earthly kingdom. And it's very easy sometimes to fall into that trap, to think that because I'm a Christian, I'm free from obligation or responsibility to human authority because I'm under God's authority. Okay, but Paul's injunction is to us as believers. Every person, he says, is obligated to be in submission to the governing authorities. Now. When Paul uses the word submission there, I think it is significant that he makes a he makes a choice of the word he's going to use. And he avoids using a stronger word. Okay. So he uses the word submission rather than the word obedience. Okay? And I think this in fact reflects this 
this thought that I that I talked about earlier that Paul is aware there are some there are some what ifs out there. Okay, there are some I don't want to call them exceptions because they really aren't exceptions, but there are some what ifs. There are some what we might say some caveats out there. Okay, and Paul is aware of that. So Paul is not saying there's nothing in this passage that requires the believer to give unquestioning unexceptional obedience, unthinking obedience in every situation. Okay? He's not saying that. We know Paul's not saying that because we know Paul knows about all these other situations that we listed earlier. The, uh, the midwives in Egypt, uh, the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace, uh, Peter saying, who shall I obey, God or man? Pa- Paul knows that stuff. Okay? So Paul is not enjoining us to just mindlessly do every single thing that government says. But rather, what he is enjoining us to have is a, uh, can I call it a a disposition, a mindset, (laughs) a a default, if you will. We've become familiar with that term default in our computer lingo, right? There are certain things that are just kind of default. When your computer can't figure out what to do in this situation or that situation, it just defaults to what it's originally programmed to do, right? And it just does it, okay? What is our default position? What is our, what is our overriding disposition? The believer's overriding disposition, his default position is that he places himself under authority. He places himself under the civil authorities. Maybe I shouldn't say he places himself because he is there whether he recognizes or not. But, but he is in that position where he recognizes that, author- that there is an authority which is over him. Now, when we say the authority is over him, it doesn't mean that that person in authority is better than he is. doesn't mean he's smarter than he is. It doesn't mean that he's more righteous than he is. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. Okay? It just means that he's over us in regard to the conduct within the community in which that person is an authority. So if the person's an authority in the family and I'm under that authority, that doesn't mean that that person's smarter or better or more righteous or anything. It just means that's where God has put them in order to establish a stable working community within the family or in the workplace or in schools or, or, uh, or in the community. Okay? So, so I recognize that within their particular realm of authority, and there are different realms of authority, within their particular realm of authority, that authority has jurisdiction. And I am under that jurisdiction. And in all situations, except a few that Scripture delineates for us, in all situations, I am responsible to do what that authority, operating within the legitimacy of its own realm, tells me I should do. That's the way my society works. That's the way my family works. That's the way my workplace works. As I place myself 
or recognize that I am placed, I should say, under that under that realm of authority. Okay? I don't know if you all remember, but um, back when George Bush ran for his second term, they had a debate, I think it may be the first debate, there was a black politician, Alan... Keith? Keith, yeah. yeah. And they were debating, and somebody brought up the question to George Bush about his... Um, Allowing people to be executed in the state of Texas, and they were asking, "How do you think you have the authority to do that, and why did he, why did he do like he did?" I just remember that Alan Keyes, who was a Catholic and very outspoken, very eloquent, he said, and "It was a long line of these politicians because it was first debate." And he stepped out and said, "I'd like to say something." And they turned to him and he said, "You asked under what authority he made these decisions." He said, the Bible tells us that all authority comes from God. <laughs> and so his authority came from God. And that's how he had the right to make the decision. <laughs> I bet that went over like a ham sandwich in a synagogue. Is that the crowd's reaction, and that falls back to us. Because if we don't share the gospel and Christ, they are ignorant. Like we would have been there if somebody hadn't shared it with us. Right. So wouldn't it be glorious to have a crowd be out or get it, you know, just to, to understand yes. that? Yeah. So it really comes back to us. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, uh, it's a good point, but you're getting ahead of me. I'm sorry. You're getting ahead of me. Okay. All right. Great. But that is a great point. Yes. Uh, go ahead, Ginger. Okay. Like. I know we're under the authority. I know you are whether you like it or not. You can think you're in the heavenly kingdom, but I'll tell you if you don't pay your taxes, guess what you do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we comprehend that. I think what I'm personally struggling with is, uh, and I'm always respectful with the authorities, whether I like them or can't stand them. Uh, but there does come a point where you have to stand up and speak the truth. Yes. And with our particular governmental system, we are blessed that we still have the right to do that in a respectful, non-violent way. Uh, and in fact, I would even take it to say, I think it's wrong if we don't, mm-hmm. as Christians, boys, I'm sorry, you think about what's all at stake. All the foreign missions with the United States, the Christians here do. I mean, there's a lot at stake here if we forfeit that. Yeah. So I'm struggling reading yeah. this. Yeah, and and you're absolutely right, and I ex- and I have it in my notes uh, further down the list because <laughs> we haven't gotten there yet. I have it in my notes. There's nothing in this passage that even hints that believers are not to speak truth to power. Okay, and the scriptures are full of it. You know, we have. John the Baptist, you know, speaking to Herod, telling Herod, listen, you know, what you did is wrong. Okay. So, so we have to understand that submission does not mean that as believers, particularly within a democratic society, which is something that Paul didn't even have to wrestle with. Okay. But we're, we're in a democratic society, uh, which, which places upon us an obligation and a responsibility to have some input into the decision-making process. Okay, that's that's part of the government under which we live. Okay, that's part of the system under which we live. And so one could argue, and I think this is to some degree Ginger's point, that submission to authority 
within a democratic system implies that I participate in that system and that I try to do what I can do to influence the system. Now, I'll be honest with you. I get a little frustrated at that because I don't feel like I'm having a lot of influence, okay? So I want to just chuck it all and just say, I'm just going to go teach the Word and preach the Gospel because I'm sick of trying to influence the government because nobody's listening anyway, okay? So I, I know some of us feel that frustration. Uh, I certainly feel that frustration. But within a democratic system, submission to authority includes the participants in that democratic system participating, okay? And so I think that goes along with Ginger's argument. But there's nothing that, nothing in what I'm saying today, or, you know, and this will probably go on into next week, there's nothing that I'm saying today that would, that would suggest that believers are not obligated to speak truth to power. So this is this is not what's in, this is not what's in question. The question is not, do we speak the truth? And not just in reference to clear moral areas, but I think I think because we live in a democracy, we have an obligation and a responsibility and an opportunity to 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 speak to other issues that are not clearly moral. So, for example, if the city fathers decide that there's going to be no parking on my street, on the curb, okay. Now, that's not a moral area. I'm not going to be able to disobey that on some biblical grounds. I don't think some people might try to find a way, but I'm not going to be able to do that, okay. But, but submission to government does not mean that I can't go around and petition my neighbors and talk to them and encourage them through, through the instrument of government to change that rule so I can park my car on the curb. Okay? So, uh, so now, of course, we live, in a, we live in a different environment than Paul lived in, but if we apply this principle of submission to government in, within the context of a democratic system, then then I have that prerogative and I have that responsibility as I feel God uh, wants me to do it to speak up and address all kinds of issues that I may not agree with the government on. Okay, that's something I can do. All right. Well, but we are getting a little ahead of ourselves because I want to think this through carefully. So every person, particularly believers we're talking about, has an obligation to be in a, in a disposition, in a default position of being under authority so that when authority says do such and so I just do it. Okay. Now he's going to give us two reasons. He's going to give us a lesser reason and a greater reason for why we submit to authority. Okay. And we'll explore those as we go forward. But but for the reasons that he states, I just I ought to, I should say, automatically default to that position. Now, what happens is that, is that as a Christian, I know, like Paul knows and you know, that there are some situations 
where I'm going to have to draw the line. Okay, so I know that, you know that. Paul doesn't talk about it here, but we all know that. It's all kind of, you know, it's the subtext. We all know that, right? So what happens as Christians is we try to find sometimes, I think I do, and probably more, more than just me. In fact, I know more than just me because I've been giving an example in a minute. Try to find spiritual justifications for disobeying government. In a lot of areas where we don't have justification. So, I'm going to date myself here. And I'm going to date some of you. <laughs> the last time I taught Romans in this class, okay? Uh, last time I taught Romans in this class, we were over in the fellowship hall, and it was many years ago, okay? And this is how long ago it was. The speed limit was 55 mile an hour. Remember that? Okay. <laughs> oh, I got ginger on this one. Okay. And so, so I was teaching the class and we had a, we had a brother in the class, a, a good Christian man in the class. And, uh, and it just so happened that he was, a, uh, he was a salesman and he made his money selling all across the state of Oklahoma. So it was necessary for him to drive all over the state. And so I was teaching Romans 13 back in ancient history when that was the case. And, uh, and so I was teaching through this and, and, and I happened to use the speed limit as an example of an area where the government has that prerogative and I need to obey it. And he objected on spiritual grounds. His objection was, I need to feed my family. And so... I take the liberty to drive 70, 75 mile an hour when the speed limit is 55. Because God has told me to feed my family. And this is how I feed my family. Well, I didn't agree with him. <laughs> but I think that's an illustration. I think that's an example of how we can kind of spiritualize and justify not having default position of submission to government. I think that's a pretty far stretch to, to try to justify breaking the speed limit. Okay? I think that's a, that's a pretty good stretch. I think he's pretty good at avoiding ticket because I think he used a, used a uh, radar detector. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, and, 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 you know, he's a good brother. I loved him and, and uh, all that sort of thing, but I just couldn't go with him there. Okay. But that's an illustration of how easy it is for us when we're, do, when we're dealing with Romans 13, how easy it is for us as Christians to try and come up with a spiritual justification to say, well, you know, they've written a law here, but they really didn't have that prerogative. They didn't really have that right or whatever. whatever. Okay. But Paul really lays the bomb on us here. Every believer is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Why? God ordained the government. Okay. He says, because there is no authority except from God. There's no authority except from God. What was that? There is no authority except from God. Well, certainly Paul 
Certainly Paul didn't mean no authority. So he goes on. And those which exist are established by God. Now, what Paul is not saying here <laughs> is he's not saying that he's not saying that God has ordained the way every person got into a position of authority. Okay, how about Absalom? You see, God's God's God does not necessarily you know people get into positions of authority by all kinds of ways. Some are elected by popular vote. Some get it because they're the son of a king. Uh, some overthrow, you know, do violent actions and disobey the law and overthrow as Absalom did, his father David. Okay? People get into authority all kinds of different ways. Some of them good and some of them bad. And Paul's not dealing with that here. He's not talking about how they get into authority. He's talking about once they're in that position. Once they're in that position of authority, the authority that they hold comes from God and the position that they hold is established by God. So that when I resist Authority. What am I doing? You're disobeying God. What does he say? When the one who resists authority, what? Opposes the ordinance of God. Yeah. Okay. So here I am. I'm a Christian. I, you know, I couch everything in all these super spiritual justified terms. Okay. But if I resist authority, I'm opposing the ordinance of God. Now, the word resist there in the Greek is actually a present participle, which means uh, to be more literally translated, it would be uh, the one who is resisting authority. Okay. The one who is resisting authority opposes the ordinance of God. Okay. And the, the significance of that, if there is some significance to it, and I think there may be, the significance of that is it's the idea of somebody who's taken on a disposition of resistance. It's an ongoing resistance to authority. So, for example, when David was commanded not to pray to Yahweh, excuse me, uh, Daniel, when Daniel was commanded not to pray to Yahweh, and he did, he was in a short period of time, for, for point in time, he was resisting authority where authority had stepped beyond its legitimate prerogatives, right? And so he was resisting the authority, but we would not say that David was, excuse me, Daniel was opposing the ordinance of God. He was... Government was required, was prohibiting him from doing something he was required by God to do. Or in the example of his three friends, they were being uh, required to do something that by God they were prohibited from doing, which was to worship the, uh, the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? So you have two places, two different ways there that, 
that authority steps beyond its bounds. One, when it requires us to do that which we are prohibited from doing, or that when it prohibits us from doing something we are required by God to do. Okay. So I would suggest to you that the idea that Paul is dealing with here is the idea of a, of a, of a kind of an ongoing disposition of resistance to authority. Now, it's not as uncommon as we think it is. Some of us just kind of operate. <laughs> just antagonistic to authority. You know, if, 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 I, if I didn't walk by the Spirit and try to obey the Lord and obey the Scripture, that would be my default position because I don't like authority. I don't like authority in the church. I like it in the home. <laughs> but I don't like it in the church. I don't like it in the workplace. That's why I work for myself. <laughs> I don't like it in the workplace. I really don't like it in government. You know, I really don't like it that my city fathers tell me I have to recycle stuff. I don't like that. Okay. I don't, you know, that's, that's too much hassle for me. And I don't like that ugly big blue cart that they make me keep by the side of my own. I think it's ugly. You know, I don't like that. In fact, I don't like it any time the city of government tells me I have to change what I'm doing and do it different. I don't like that stuff. You know, just leave me alone. Let me live life the way I want to live. Right? So if I operated according to the flesh, that would be my position. Now, now, I think most of us are really that way. Maybe not all of us. Maybe some of us are nice, docile, you know. But I've never been docile. Never been accused of it. I'm like Ginger. Uh, <laughs> I, so I've never been accused of being docile. Okay? But, and, and, I, and I think most of us most of us, if we were just left to the flesh, that's where we would gravitate to. Because that's what Satan's all about. Satan's all about chaos. Satan's all about destroying the peace and the tranquility of the community. Because then he has full reign to do what he wants to do. That's, that's, that's why the creation is so significant. Because at the beginning... At the beginning of creation, beginning in Genesis, that's the way all the material that existed that God first created. It was a chaos. And the beauty of creation is God makes order out of chaos. Okay? And what Satan is about is creating chaos. And one of the ways he creates chaos is he incites in us that, that perverse inclination that we have to be in rebellion against all authority. Now, the reason we don't do it as much as we want to do it, even unbelievers, the reason they don't do it as much as they want to do it is because there's this big sword hanging over their head. And we'll get to that next week. Okay. And that's one of the reasons I don't do some of the things I want to do when it comes to government. That's the reason I don't drive 90 mile an hour up the interstate. Because I don't want to get a ticket. Right? Okay. So I don't do it. It's not because my car can't do it. It's not because I don't want to do it. It's not because I don't have a high priority to get there really quick. You know, it's because I know if I do that, I'm probably going to get a ticket. Okay. So, so there's this this sword. But what Scripture teaches us is there's a higher motivation than the sword. And the higher motivation is the ordinance of God. That that authority is there 
by the ordinance of God. And He has established it. And if I resist authority, I'm really resisting God. And because I've been born again and because I have the indwelling Holy Spirit, I don't want to do that. I want to submit to God. And so, and we'll stop here. So what we discover is that submission to authority, as hard as it is sometimes, when we sit down on April 15th and write out that check, okay? As hard as it is, what we discover in this passage is it's an act of worship. You ever thought about that? When you fill out your tax forms? That's an act of worship because God has put those people there. And this is how we finance them. It's as much an act of worship as when you put your check in the offering plate this morning in the worship service. Okay? Well, obviously we've got a lot of work to do in this passage yet, so we'll pick it up next week. You just took all the fun out of the